So Barry turned 45. 45. Today. Yep. And he's stuck, stuck in a, a horrible convention. <laughs> yep. In Scottsdale, Arizona. I got shoes older than that. <laughs> what a way to celebrate his birthday. I, unless there's some secret here. What's the plan for his birthday? Nothing. 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 We only celebrate big birthdays. 45 doesn't count. No, like, yeah, you know, 40, 50. Yeah. So decades, huh? It's also this year we've got the house. So, okay. That's expensive. All right. Well, plus, he's into Warhammer, so you don't have money to spend anymore. So, right. <laughs> hey, he got a 15% off coupon at the Highland Festival for War Room Games. <laughs> That'll save him $300. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, you know what? If he's planning on getting that uh, sister's battle unit, that's like a couple hundred dollars on its own. So, Oh, I'm trying to get that sister's yeah. battle unit. I bet you are. <laughs> bet you. So how close are you, Deb, to getting something for your Zinch army? Something, one thing, anything. I don't know. I kind of want to wait till we have, you know, our house. It's, it's oh. hard to, you know, we're already buying things for the house, so... I don't want to buy extra stuff and have to put more stuff in storage. So, yeah, it makes sense. But yeah, I think uh, as soon as we do that, Barrett, because he wants to set up the house like ASAP. So, sure. like, it's not going to happen, but he wants it done, I know, in his brain in like a week so that we can start, you know, <laughs> doing stuff. I know, trust me. He's like, I've taken the, I'm going to take the week off from work. We'll get everything. I'm like, it's not going to happen, but okay. Well, what's great is as that go, that, gets into the week, I can already feel the frustration mounting that hasn't even happened yet, but I can feel it. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you need to video that. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's a Patreon. We need to set cameras around the house, and uh, yeah, you, you got to pay for the feed for the specific rooms. Absolutely. Welcome, folks, to Geek Shock number 635. I am Master Torgo. It is Jeff. Commander K. Fact-checked Andy, again. And Deb. And we're here uh, we can geek. Uh, yes. Uh, red card, Deb. God damn it. I want oh. to make this stick. Red card, <laughs> Deb. Red card, Deb. Red card, Deb. And slide tackle, Deb. Haven't you learned by now, Andy, a lot of things that you want for the show don't always work out? Oh, I'm aware. I'm aware. I want to thank all the Shock Monkeys and listeners to the show, and especially our Kofi <laughs> members. Thank you so much for donating to the show. And I want to put a th- special thank out. To, uh, thank out. I want to do a thank out. That's what thank. it's called now. <laughs> Thank out, yo. Thank out. <laughs> to Addison Gow, uh, <laughs> many of you know, uh, we give away a mini every month uh, for Kofi members, the drawing. I, I paint it and we send it out. Uh, don't worry, Daniel, yours is still in the mail. It's coming, I swear. The We'll give away the next one uh, this next week. It's going to be the Necron from 40K. But Addison Gow sent me to give away to a Kofi member a Malifaux Whiskey Golem. This is no small mini. This is a multi-piece model kit, large piece. I mean, it's not massive. It's it's not like a dragon or anything. But it's going to take me a little while to work on it. 
so this is something that I'll be working on. It'll probably take me a, a few months of painting here and there as I paint other minis to give away and, of course, work on commissions. So that will be coming. So a big thank you to Addison and uh, on behalf of myself and uh, all the shotgun winkies and especially the one who's going to win it. So thank you so very, very much. Is that from a game? Yes, uh, Malifaux is one of my favorite miniature skirmish games out there. It's put out by Weird Productions, W-Y-R-D. It's uh, a company that's out of France. Uh, however, France. We come from a, France. They're a very small company and have a hard time getting things shipped out. So a lo- some local stores have kind of given up on them just because they have a hard time getting their stuff, especially during the pandemic. But it's a game that's still full in effect. Uh, They have a presence every year at LVO, which is the professional uh, tabletop wargaming thing that happens here in Las Vegas. It's mostly 40K and Warhammer Sigmar stuff. It's Uh, very horror film and very, very creepy and wonderful. The sculpts are amazing. I mean, prior to like Kingdom uh, Death and so on, Malifaux mini sculpts were uh, top of the line and they still are and they're also known to be a hell of a thing to put together because they are so small and the model pieces are so intricate there there's a lot of gluing of little pieces that are easy to lose let's just put it that way got it this this piece doesn't look small though this piece looks like something that (laughs) if it fell out of a window onto your head it would kill you uh doubtful uh it's probably as tall as my hand is Palm to fingers. A piece stop. of plastic that's that big would hit me in the head would probably hurt me and maybe it's, kill me. It's, it's not like it's a solid chocolate bunny. It, it's a it's a hollow Ooh. chocolate bunny. Okay, it's, it's a hollow chocolate anybody. bunny. Okay. Andy has such a low threshold for pain. <laughs> I do. I still remember a, remember most, him talking about the unfortunate lawn darts incident, and it's just ugh. repeat that. I, I need to hear that story one more time. I don't think there really is a story. I think it's. A <laughs> <laughs> no, you, the, Andy. There's no story there. What no. the the mumbly peg with the uh, lawn darts oh, and oh yeah, we did do that. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That happened. <laughs> <laughs> but without the arching, that really doesn't go through. I mean, and your foot is more durable than your head. A lawn dart will go through a head easily. It'll only bruise a foot <laughs> if you're wearing shoes. Who would play barefoot mumbly peg? It's crazy. Like oh, that. that's yeah. That's just dumb. There are so many confused people out there right now. Just, yep. <laughs> what are you talking about? Mumbly peg? It's where you throw a sharpened, usually a, a switch, uh, usually a knife. You throw it at your feet. I mean, there's various versions. We've talked about this before, but the version we played, you would throw a knife uh, near somebody's foot, and you had to move your foot out to that distance. And uh, or or sometimes it was in, and you were trying to throw closer and closer. You're trying to see how close you could get the foot, so you just keep moving your foot in or out a little bit. And uh, yeah, if you got somebody stabbed somebody in the foot, that that was a game over. You would be lost. <laughs> <laughs> Not as much as the person who got stabbed in the foot lost, but you lost. <laughs> Oops, I lost. I, I remember the story came up because uh, we were talking about the murderiness of of uh, Arrow. And Andy was like, oh, it hurts. Trust me. When you get hit with an arrow, you're just like, ah. And it's like, well, how do you know? Well. (laughs) I I think that was enough to fill everybody in now. (laughs) That's fine. 
Uh, the Geek Shock Book Club is reading A Letter to Joe by Joseph Seriaki. And soon we'll be doing nominations for next month's book. So be ready for that, book readers. And that being said, what geeky things you do this week? Uh, Deb? I have gotten some reading in. So first of all, I traveled a little bit last week for work. And so I was able to do some more audiobook listening. Um, I've started the King of Scars duology, which is the third set of books in the Lee Bardugo like Shadow and Bone world, the Grishaverse. So King of Scars is the first of the duology. And then the second one is Rule of Wolves. I just started book two, actually. So I got through book one. I know I talked about the first duology, which is the one that takes place in Kirch and introduces the uh, other characters that they have brought into the Shadow and Bones TV series. This next duology just starts like right after that that storyline ends. It's really good so far. Like I said, it's only two books. I've read one. I just started book two. I'm kind of hoping it's, it's said all over the internet that Lee Bardugo has said this will be her last Grishaverse book. So I'm not quite sure. It seems like they've got a lot of material to get through. So I'm really hoping they don't that she doesn't really cut anything out because if this is gonna be the last Grishaverse book, like I really kind of want a lot more story to happen. But so far I'm really it's got me hooked. I'm really, I'm really enjoying it. And then I have been reading. I'm almost done with book three of J.R. Conkle's. Uh, yep. So then book three is The Flight of the Fallen. I have literally like 20 pages left. I'm so close to being done. Book three picks up shortly after book two. And it is action, like the whole way through. It is Battle scene, battle scene, fighting, action. Lots and lots of action happens in this book. So it just keeps keeps moving. And I feel like as soon as book four, you know, you pick up at four, it's just going to be the same. So wow. I am, yeah, it's good. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a decently quick read, actually, because it just keeps moving so fast. So for those who have been reading the J.R. Conkle series, it is available, book three, Flight of the Fallen. Um, I do know it's on Amazon. I think I know that he was recently doing a a special for book one. So um, if you guys haven't started reading this series yet, I definitely suggest starting to pick it up. Sweet. I got my copy of Flight right here next to me. So, yeah, absolutely. He's uh, he does a good job. All right. The, the Conkleverse. I want to yes. call it the Conkleverse. I love it. Anything else, Deb? No, not really. Not right. really. Yeah. Andy. Yeah. What'd you do this week? Well, I, know, I was trying. I was actually trying to remember the name of the game. There's a there's a game I posted about on the lair that's essentially a Mad Max board game from eighty five, eighty six around there. And I did pull the trigger on that and, and bought the basic copy of it. And uh, I'm having a sent to my house uh, in Henderson. So uh, uh, <laughs> if you get that, open it up and play with it, Kay, because I don't have anything to play with here. Um, that's uh, Thunder Road, isn't it? Thunder Road, that's it. Yeah, Thunder yeah, Road. Okay. All right. Which is which? Uh, we I played a uh, the you know the actual old version of it. Somebody had it and let me borrow it. It's like careful with it. It's like hundreds of dollars. But okay, but uh, it's a great game. Um, I, I'm eager to see what they update it with. And uh, I I kind of have it in my head that I'll probably make some more maps for it myself when I get it because it sounds like fun to do. I'm catching up on stuff from from Miami, so I, I finally watched the Adam Project, which I enjoyed. That was that was good, harmless fun. I played a lot of Skyrim 
Aha. Uh, so so and, where are you at in your your Skyrim adventures? Uh, I'm keep trying to uh, what the hell, what the hell happened to Red Card Deb? I need to talk to her about this. So uh, I'm level 48 and a half. Oh wow, uh, you're way ahead, you're ahead of me. Yeah, I'm yeah. only like level 20. Yeah, and and the the weird thing about the game is I keep I don't want to do it, but I keep ending up running stuff. I'll like do a bunch of you know missions, and suddenly I'm the king of the wizards. Like I, I just did something so the wizard be cool, but now I'm king of the wizards, and I'm I'm in charge of the thieves guild. I'm in charge of the uh, companions mercenary. I'm in charge of like everything. It's like fortunately it's not <laughs> it's not a lot of it's not a lot of heavy duty. They don't actually make me do anything, but I'm you know. <laughs> They're all titles and no responsibilities? I, I guess. I mean, I'm essentially in charge, but I don't have to do anything. Uh, the weird thing is, you know, the, the dialogue doesn't change. So, like, I keep going to a guy from, I bet, early on in the level. Some some guy was selling me magic stuff. And he goes, you know, you should go to the wizard school sometime. Like, I run the mystery school, asshole. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying it. I'm, I'm at the point where... Uh, uh, I played it for what, quite a while before my son came over and put on the downloadable content. So now I have the uh, the vampires and stuff. I as I was a vampire briefly, I managed to fix that. I was a werewolf for for much longer than I wanted to be, but I fixed that too. But <laughs> I think I could finish a game tonight if I wanted to. I think I could solve the uh, the the major mystery. But I keep going back to the other the other uh, missions, so I don't have to do that. Yeah. So I'm yeah. doing all the. And once you solve the mystery, you can still go do those other missions. It's the game okay. will end. Okay, but I may go back and do it again. I'm I'm playing a uh, a sneaky thief archer guy, which apparently is the the way to do it easiest. It's but probably I, what eighty five percent of the people do is the yeah, archer. It, and then that, and that's just what I do. That's the way. I, you know, Kay will tell you that's the way I like to play my D anD. d But I might go back and do it again, and this time like lean into the werewolf thing right off the bat. Like I, I know where the the stuff is to do that, and just. You know, be a werewolf. What the hell? Why not? Boom, you're a werewolf. Right. I didn't mention this before. Uh, Miami, I watched a really weird movie. And I want to know if any of you crazy movie buffs saw it. Uh, has any of you guys seen a 2003 movie called Tiptoes? Tiptoes? No. Mm. It's uh, it's geeky only in that it's got uh, it's got uh, Tyrion Lannister in it. It's got... Uh, it's it's a uh, it's uh, a movie uh, with Matthew McConaughey and uh, well let's see Peter Dinklage is not the the punchline of this whole thing. It's, uh, fuck, who is it? What's his name? He's never a punchline. He's Peter Dinklage. No punch. He's he's actually one of the better parts of the movie. Punch P's the better part of the movie. <laughs> yes, he's part. He's one of the better parts of the movie. Okay, punch. Gary. Okay, so it's it's a. Uh, uh, Matthew McConaughey and Kate Beckinsale. Trying to figure out who Punch P is. Punch P. <laughs> Could be anybody in this movie, really. So um, Matthew McConaughey is uh, dating this woman who doesn't know anything about his family. And uh, he goes, I've got to do something of the weekend. He goes off and it turns out that his big secret is he comes from a family of little people. Yeah, he goes off to this little person convention and he's like rubbing elbows with a little person and... Uh, uh, his brother is Gary Oldman, walking on his knees. <laughs> All right. So, is this more or less offensive than Under the Rainbow? I think it's probably <laughs> more offensive because, I mean, their heart was in the right place. They were trying to do something good, but they have Gary Oldman playing a little person. 
Uh, there are there are many little people actors in this movie who are are you know acting their heart out and uh, and uh, you know trying to uh, tell the, uh, the 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 human side of little people and then you know how they're living real lives. But the main thrust of it is that Matt McConaughey is ashamed of his little person background and has got gets his girlfriend pregnant and they're afraid she's going to be a, he's going to be a born a midget they do say that word and then they catch themselves on it it's, it's very weird and then Gary Oldman in knee pads is ridiculous and it's like there's like scenes like Gary Oldman sitting on a couch and it's like well there's Gary Oldman sitting in the couch with the stuffed legs hanging out there you know there's Gary Oldman on a uh, souped up weird tricycle motorcycle with his legs somewhere in this souped up motorcycle and his stuffed legs hanging out it's Excellent. just if if, what, if Gary Oldman wasn't playing a little person i think it would be a better movie it'd be a better but uh i'm sure it's, it's the top of his resume yeah i mean we we were all watching in the trailer and we were laughing our asses off because it's unintentionally funny at one point they use the phrase midget circle jerk and that was it you know you can't take the movie seriously after they use the phrase midget, midget circle jerk nope and that's not the name of this episode either <laughs> no that'd be a bad name for the episode i mean honestly it's hard is really in the right place it's just their brains weren't. It, it's, it's worth seeing for the weirdness. But I'm surprised either you two saw it yet because it's just whoa. The first time you said Gary Oldman, I thought you said Gary Coleman. So Gary Coleman better. Yeah, Gary Coleman was <laughs> great in this role. He would have been more believable. He would have been more believable as Matthew McConaughey's brother. <laughs> so is it more cringe or less cringe than Tim Conway's dwarf? Definitely more cringe. Tim Conway's really? dwarf is just a joke. Maybe a tasteless joke, but a joke. This oh, they're trying to play. It, they're trying to play it straight. In modern day, yeah, it's 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 definitely uh, the dwarf is uh, not an unacceptable mm-hmm. <laughs> joke. But. I didn't get that joke for a long time too. When they were showing those commercials on TV, I just did not catch a joke for a long time. Deb, you said you've got one more thing that you forgot. Yeah, um, I saw we went and saw uh, Fantastic Beasts Secrets of Dumbledore. Oh, that's that's pretty big. Oh, unless it wasn't. No, I actually really enjoyed it. Um, sorry, the last just week or so days just blend together. So trying to remember some things is a little bit more. But yeah, no, I really enjoyed it. They do pack a lot into this film. I think if you know anything about the the Wizarding World and you know anything from the Harry Potter books about the Dumbledore history and um, you know, this time period of his life, you can follow all of it. So I really enjoyed it. The only thing is I really did miss Johnny Depp as Grindelwald in this film. Um, um, the actor, and I'm blanking on his name right now. Um, there you go. I really enjoy him as an actor. And I think if they had started with him as Grindelwald, I probably would have been fine with it. But they didn't. They used Johnny Depp. And... I just feel like it's a different, it's a completely different character. Kind of like when in the films, when they did the films and the first Dumbledore passed away and, you know, obviously you, you know, you, you have to find someone that can fill his shoes. um, But they're, you know, they're an actor and they're going to do the character their way. Um, That's kind of how it feels. I haven't seen any of the post book <gasps> Potter movies. Really? Am I am I missing out? So I I mean I really enjoyed the Fantastic Beast stories, but these are all I mean, they're not prequels to Harry Potter, 
but they happen way before, like decades and decades. It's like, mm, if I remember like 80, correctly, 80 years, right? Yeah, if I remember correctly, it's either the 19 teens or the early 1920s. So it's a totally different time period in the Wizarding World, which is, you know, when Grindelwald started coming to power. So that's the story. The whole Fantastic Beast storyline is about Grindelwald coming to power. Uh, and you get a little taste of that of that story in the Harry Potter books, but I mean, it barely touches the surface of that story. I really enjoy it though. Is this story still being mm -hmm. told? Like, does this part three, does it end the story? Is there, or is there gonna be a part four, obviously? Oh no, so if I remember correctly, they had originally planned for five Fantastic okay. Beasts films. So I'm not sure though, with everything that's happening the last couple of years with Johnny Depp and JK Rowling and all that stuff, if they're gonna try to do it in four or if they're gonna continue to do try to do it in five, I don't know. Okay. How big a part does Ezra Miller have? No, seriously, how, how big a part is he? Because he sounds like it's gonna be a problem. Um, remind me who that actor is, because I am so bad. The guy that, that plays Flash. Oh, movie I mean, he's Flash. a big part. He's a big part in the first movie for sure. And the second film, the second film, uh, especially as well. Not as, I mean, he's still a big part in this one, but not quite. And I'm not going to say anything other than that because you kind of have mm -hmm. to watch the movies to, to get what's going with the story. But he plays a really big role in books one and two. Okay. I mean, movies one and two. If I have never seen any Harry Potter movie ever or read any of the books, would it, do you think it would be an interesting way of watching it with these movies first before the actual Harry Potter movies? Or do you have to see the Harry Potter movies to truly get this? Okay, so I feel like you have to know something about The Wizarding World to appreciate these films. Harry Potter does a very good job. JK did a very good job with that first novel of introducing the world at you know to the Wizarding World at the same time Harry gets to learn it. So you get introduced to all of how it works and muggles versus wizards and witches and all of that in the first book of Harry Potter. They don't go into any of that in Fantastic Beasts. So if you are completely unfamiliar with the world, the wizarding world, starting with Fantastic Beasts, you will probably not enjoy it as much. Okay. So you could watch it the same way with that Star Wars thing where you split it back. You could watch the first Harry Potter movie and then jump back to the first Fantastic Beasts movie and go to all the Fantastic Beasts movies and go to the second Harry Potter movie? I mean, you, you could, but like I just said with book, with, I keep saying book, with movie three, it's called The Secrets, you know, The Secrets of Dumbledore. You scratch the surface of the Dumbledore family history in The Deathly Hollows, and you kind of have to know that going into okay. All right. this film, film three. So it sounds like you can't watch that. You have, they have to watch Harry Potter's first. Yeah, I would. Yes, I would agree with that. Or read them. I would. I would. You know, say read them because you get even more detail and Wizarding World content if you read them. All right, Andy. Did you have anything else that you did this week? Uh, no, that's it. I mean, there's a bunch of stuff I'm waiting to see. I, I've, I've got to catch up on the second season of Dick Town and Woke, and uh, I still have to catch up on Teen Titans and Doom Patrol and Russian Doll is out now, and I haven't seen any of Moon Knight. <laughs> Russian of Doll. Yeah, Russian Doll second season's out, oh. uh, or or it's going to be out soon. And uh, I watched, I, w I did watch half of Eternals, and I'm going to be hard to get through the second half because it sucks. <laughs> ah, wow. It wasn't that bad. It was pretty bad. 
Oh my goodness. And maybe maybe it gets better in the second half, but I don't give a shit about any of these people. Wow. And I don't care about these CGI monsters that I to keep seeing them fight. It's like, eh. I'm an easy uh, going movie goer. I'll, I'll I'll give a lot of I'll, I'll give a lot of leeway to a movie, but I'm not getting into this one. Strong words. Jeff, what'd you do this week, aside from recover? Recover? Yeah. Uh, without knowing much about the character, I am really, really impressed with Moon Knight on Disney+. Plus. I mean, that the acting all around on that show is, is phenomenal. It actually makes me care about a character I know nothing about. I'm very fascinated to see where this goes. Um, can't wait. Uh, and it's, I know it's a shorter series, but I can't wait to see where they're going from this and how it's going to um, be rolled into the larger MCU. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, Oscar Isaac's just killing it. Um, but not just him. All of the supporting cast is is just phenomenal. Um, of course, you know, the standard fare, Picard and and uh, I have been watching a little bit of Halo. Not real impressed with that. Uh, Halo's on Paramount+. Plus. Visually, it's stunning. I mean, it looks like a live-action version of the video game for the most part. I just don't know what they're doing with the story. It just nothing makes any sense. I, I, I have seen a few comments online saying that they're rolling some of the expanded universe uh, storylines that were in the novels that weren't you know, part of the video game. That's what's getting rolled into this series. So I'll just have to take that, obviously, with a grain of salt. But uh, the thing I've done the most of, especially since uh, I started feeling better, was been playing a lot of Horizon Forbidden West ah. on PS5. I was probably putting in a good five, six hours a day on this. <laughs> and, and last night before I went to bed, I hit level fi- uh, level 16, which uh, was cracking me up. And I'm like, all these hours that I put into this and I'm just now at level 16 and I'm about to start a quest that I need to be level 17 for, but I hit the basically the the major chapter shift in the story. And I'm just like, oh my God, all these hours I put into here. And then of course it opens up even more of the map and the map is gigantic. And I'm sitting there going around the map going oh my god look at all these little things that i will get sidetracked with because i love exploring the ruins especially in the first game uh, that was one of my highlights just exploring the map as opposed to just doing a lot of the the mainstream storyline stuff but um in this one you know doing all the the side exploration and then once i've got leveled up enough to start the next quest what the thing that really hit me though when I finished this last quest is it gives you an option to start uh, three different major storyline points for the video game, and the lowest one was level 17, the highest one was like level 30, and oh. I'm like, oh my god, I have so far to go before I can even do that mission. <laughs> oh my god, because I've not like, been leveling up very fast. Sounds like you're getting your money's worth, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean hour wise I put into the game and it's it's compelling. The story is very interesting. I don't want to spoil it too much for those that are still playing it. But uh, I I love a good post apocalyptic story that has like some air of hope. It's not just all doom and gloom. 
yeah, that's the most thing that I've been doing is playing Horizon Forbidden West on the PS5. I, I have to say, it's uh, does my heart good to see you playing video games. It's it's a rare day. Yeah, I, a lot of the games lately, I'll put it in, I'll play it a little bit. I'm just like, there's nothing to make me want to keep playing this, especially with all the other things that I want to do and the normally limited amount of time I have to commit to things. Because usually it's, you know, the couple hours from when I get home from work before I go to bed that I actually get to do anything. And a lot of that's taken up by streaming this series that just came out or, you know, watching this thing on my DVR. Like, I just, that was the other thing. I cleared out, like, four episodes of The Flash that I didn't even know were in there. I, I went to watch an episode, and I'm like, I don't remember any of this in previously on The Flash. So I went back into the... The way my DVR works is weird. You have to go into the the save to know if you have prior episodes of this series. And sure enough, I had four previous episodes that I didn't even know were in there. And apparently, I, I'm sitting here going, I'm like, how come Superman and Lois hasn't been back on in a while? And apparently, I have like three episodes of that in my DVR. So I'm sure somewhere Biggs is screaming at me right now. Like, oh, are you? But uh, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. But... I also really want to play for Horizon Forbidden West. So, you do what you want to do, man. It's your life. Don't 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 worry about what Biggs wants you to do. Yeah, it's my thing. I'll do what I want to do. Darn it. Yes, it is. Gosh darn it. Russian Doll uh, season two premiered today. Ah, uh-huh. the first season was so good. I really enjoyed that show. Well, we had a pinball tournament over the last week and a half, roughly. And it has come to an end. It was on Pinball FX 3. It was the attack from Mars table. And we had the final scores. We had nine players this round. So those who played, thank you for joining it. Because I know not everyone has the table. So not everyone can join it. There will be more Pinball FX tournaments in the future. This will not be the last. But here are the standings. Uh, Mystified with uh, 909,000. Uh, the Microscope at number 8 with 977,000 points. Then it goes up to Cicada Dreams, 1.7 million points. Froyog Soft Serve, 2.18 million. And in number 5, Mr. Hyde with 3.3 million. And Vlarg at number 4 at 3.7 million. Uh, beating Vlarg handily was Aussie Matt with 3.3 million. Leon Mitt smacking it hard at 7.5 million points at number two. So everybody, fantastic job, especially you, Leon Mid. That was a hell of a score. My word. That only went up to two. Who was number one? Oh, that was uh, Master Torgo with 9.6 million. Ah. Uh, I, th- I thought it was Mr. Torgo. Uh, yeah, it's, yeah, because for some reason, PlayStation doesn't like the word master. I can't imagine why. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many bad places it can go, so I think they just struck the word. Well, there's a bunch of Mr. Baiters. Uh, but thank you, everybody, for joining it, and especially uh, those three people that beat Vlarg. You have a special place in my heart. Uh, <laughs> uh, some final thoughts on the table itself for those who played. Vlarg's absolutely right. That My secrets to playing that table, stay away from the middle. It's, it's the obvious shot, and it will get you lots of points if you do it. In fact, to beat the table, you have to conquer the center shots, uh, but it's, it's a death trap. Uh, so many bounces go up that center part and go right down the middle that if that's your aim, you, the table's going to be over quickly for you. Instead, aim for the side ramps and go for the other multi-ball options. You can get that multiple times, uh, and then 
once you start multi-ball, you can have the center shot open for that. And that way, if you do a center shot and you lose it down the center, you have multi-ball to back back it up. So that's multi-ball. my tip for that table. Multi-ball, pinball, multi-ball. I also uh, started playing a little game called Elden Ring. Oh, really? I've heard of that. Uh, yes. Uh, the next From Software game. Uh, From Software is known for being ultra hard in their software design. They make punishingly hard games like Bloodborne and Demon Souls and uh, games with uh, that punish you for not rolling at the right time and having to start back where you began. This time they have made an open world action RPG. It's still the same kind of game. Uh, a, an action game at the forefront with uh, RPG stats underneath it, uh, but it's all about swinging, dodging, parrying, and taking little chips out of a character and getting out of the way as fast as you can. Learning what the boss moves are before going in and trying to defeat them, basically. Uh, it is a game of uh, trial and error, and it beats you up for the error. It's been interesting so far. I will say of all the fraud games I've played so far, and I've played them all, and I haven't cared for most of them. Uh, this one I like the best so far. It still has the same From Software problem of lack of story, so there's no point as far as what you're doing. There's there's bare bones of a story. Uh, a ring was shattered, and they all went to various demigods, and it's up to you to put the ring back together. But there are no quests Uh, so to speak, Uh, at least none that I've seen. There are some NPCs that kind of point you in varying directions, but it is truly an open-world game. You can go wherever you want. Uh, There are people that are beating this game. I think the record now is like uh, six and a half minutes. What? Beat the game now. They're just so good at how that game works that they run directly to the last boss and fight it and beat it in that time. They're just wow. good enough to do that. But there's hours upon hours in this game. There's a lot to discover. There, it's uh, From Software is really good at creating decayed worlds. Heavy, dark fantasy elements where everything just feels like it is rotting. Uh, it looks, still looks beautiful, but you, you can see the rot beneath everything. Whether it's the character design, whether it's the environment... Uh, it's some of the most beautiful uh, environments I've seen in a game. It's, it's stunning, even on a PS4. I can imagine how beautiful this thing is on a PS5. However, it is one of those games that rewards patience. And if you don't have patience, you are going to hate, hate, hate this game. Uh, even Even the smaller enemies are... If you don't take them seriously, especially at the beginning, uh, we'll wipe you out. Uh, the, the game is so punishing that when you start, uh, you go through a few rooms and you pick up a few things. You're starting to learn kind of how things work. Uh, you start in this uh, decrepit temple of sorts. And uh, at first it throws you at a boss that kills you immediately. It's just it's going to happen. It's part of the game. But you try to fight it F- futilely. It's, it's trying to let you know who you are. Uh, and that is nothing. Ow. And then it throws you into this temple, which then opens up to the open world. However, there is a pit to the right in this game. 
And one really cool thing about all the From Software games is it has a neat multiplayer aspect where you're not actually playing with other people. You can invite people in and go into other people's games to fight big bosses if you need help or want to help someone. That's something that is multiplayer. But there is an overall multiplayer aspect where you can occasionally see ghosts of other players in the game go by you basically almost like in a, a multi-dimensional thing you're you're seeing into another dimension where it's actually just someone else's game so mm-hmm. someone's ghost might pass you by but you can write messages in your world at places and those messages will show up in other people's games so and, and so you c- come across where you can see someone's written somebody and it might warn you that hey boss ahead or uh, ambush up ahead to the left or recommend horse or I'm frustrated, just whatever the message is going to be. And there's also blood spots and blood spots. If you inspect those, those are where somebody else died in the game and you get to see their last moments play out as a ghost. You can't see what they're fighting or what killed them, so to speak, uh, but you can see how they died. So if they're dying, swinging a sword, obviously there's something there's fighting coming close. And so pay attention because it might be coming to you. So it, it's a it's a way of hinting and fighting the hardness of the game. Uh, going back to the start, you go forward and there's this big hole to the right. And to the right, there's a bunch of blood spatters of people who jumped into this hole and died. So I skipped it and just went straight through to the front. It turns out that hole is the tutorial. <laughs> <laughs> and apparently yeah, to jump into the tutorial hole yeah that's exactly it and and i i watched people die going into the tutorial hole so i'm not going in there uh apparently they patched the game yesterday so that when you enter that room it pops up hey if you want a tutorial jump in the hole but there's there was that's that's just how difficult they've intended this game is that yes there's the tutorial by the way people died going in there so it doesn't tell you the tutorial though there's like one body there you can like talk to and it gives you kind of a hint that it's the uh, a hole of knowledge but please that sounds sounds like a devil temptation i'm not doing it right so it's been interesting i i don't think it's something that i'd buy i'm going to still play it for a little bit because i'm curious and i'm loving loving and have for all of their games love the creature artwork if you're into horror creature design this is top game and its open worldness allows for a a little more forgiving game than their last ones still punishing but probably the easiest of the games they've done so far which i'm using easy in big time quotation marks so that's elder Elden Ring. So these people that are on the six and a half minute runs of the game, are they playing on the top of the game, or is it one of these weird things where they're running through the uh, the the uh, blueprints of the game kind of thing, where they're running through the the cracks of the way the game is built? You can get the horse kind of early, and the horse is your quick run, and you can use that horse to run by lots of stuff. In fact, there's one part that I learned you have to. If you stop and fight the things, you're going to die at, at a low level. So you have to run past them to get to the next part. It's part of the game teaching you. The game teaches you by punishing you, but there are lessons learned every time you die. So that you you go forward next time with that knowledge and, and hopefully get past that next part. Um, and the big punishment is that 
your experience points and money are the exact same thing. They're, they call them runes in this game. So when you defeat creatures, you, uh, you gain runes, and you can use that to buy other equipment, or you can use that to level up your character. But if you die, you lose all the runes, and you go back to the earliest uh, save point that you were at. You didn't lose anything else but the runes. Like if you gained items, you keep those, but you go back to that spot. You can run, go back to that spot and pick up those runes, but if you die on the way to getting them, those runes are gone forever. Hmm. So, so that's the, the risk in this game where you're kind of always pushing your luck. It's like, do I want to fight more so I can earn more to get that better equipment or uh, it's costing more, me more to level up, so do I choose to get the equipment or do I want to fight some more people and level up instead but risk the possibility of losing all those runes? So I, I think it's all that together which is making a lot of people uh, really, and a lot of critics really give this game a thumbs up. Hmm. And the art, again, the art direction, top notch. So uh, Elden Ring is what I've been playing. And uh, my wife and I finished C, I'll spell it for you again, Andy, S-E-E, on Apple+. Plus. The season two does not disappoint. We're looking forward to season three. In fact, mm-hmm. uh, uh, my wife's mad that season three is not available already because she wants to know what happens next. Uh, incredible political intrigue with a lot of war action, especially in this second part. Again, it is a, a post-apocalyptic world, but it's actually a fantasy world when it comes down to it it takes place a hundred years a couple hundred years after a virus wiped out all but two million people on the earth and the ones that are left over are struck and blind so they created the blind society so everyone's some form of kind of like daredevil and so Mm -hmm. where they rely on their hearing for all their senses and they've created a lot of uh traps and uh, the, the world building is, is just amazing. Uh, but the second season really opens up that world and makes it even more impressive. So uh, after finishing second season of C does not disappoint. Uh, and it's only eight episodes, I think each season. So really short. So if you do get a, uh, Apple plus, uh, preview of some sort where you can ha- be able to have it for a week or whatever, uh, you can knock that out in a couple days if you have the time. So, uh, that's what I did. Kirsten, what'd you do? Wow. Well, I took Duncan to a eyeglasses frame fixer place because he broke his glasses. Did you break his glasses? Nope. He did. He was just uh, actually just putting them on and uh, they snapped right in the center of the bridge. Oh, always a good time. Yep. And you're uh, on a bridge. Hey, oh, Duncan uh, is kind of blind without his glasses. We researched trying to replace them quick because he got a hold of uh, his mom because he's on the insurance so he can get a new prescription, get new glasses and stuff. But the first appointment isn't for another week. And then even after that, he's got to have the glasses, you know, made, blah, blah, blah. So I was like, well, let's let's try to figure out if we could do it. We tried to nerd tape the bridge of his glasses and that didn't work i found a couple places that are eyeglass places that actually advertise fixing frames so we went to this one place and it's expensive so duncan was just like ah because it was over a hundred dollars just to just to fix the bridge 
he kind of choked at that. So we came back here and he actually figured out a way to temporarily fix his glasses using a straw and some tape. Okay. Oh, okay. So he um, actually currently uh, has uh, his glasses with a big old purple straw across the top of his lenses. Would you category, categorize this as a maker story? Maybe. <laughs> well, it's glasses, so obviously geeky. Yes. yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He is really, really. When he first put glasses on, maybe, oh gosh, maybe 10 or 11. He put them on outside and looked down at the, uh, the parking lot and said, it's made of little rocks. Holy shit, you are blind. Yeah. <laughs> So we think we've got a little fix-it hack until he can get the new glasses. We were I was kind of hoping for him to get these get this little patch repair so he could have backup glasses. But uh his hair kind of curled when <clears throat> she quoted him the the over $100 to fix the glasses. And and you know Duncan's hair, that's that's something to get that stuff to curl. So that was fun. A lot of driving around. Thank you, Andy, for sending me some gas money so I could do that. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, I participated on the Sword and Sorcery Discord for the Whetstone Semi-Prozine, where we have started hammering out a manifesto oh. for the, the new edge of Sword and Sorcery, our approach to revitalizing the Sword and Sorcery genre. Ooh. And uh, one of the one of the bigger authors participating with us, Scott Odin, writer of uh, Gathering of Ravens and The Lion of Cairo, historical fantasies, posted uh, part of what we're talking about on his blog. I'll share that ah. on uh, on um, the the lair. But we're trying to we're trying to get sword and sorcery to unload its old baggage and become a a vital genre again nice so a new edge on an old blade as you have uh, some, what you have some strong opinions on that issue yeah it it's it's a fun discord because it's uh one of the one of the things about it is um we don't want we don't love sword and sorcery for regressive reasons <laughs> You know, we don't love sword and sorcery because it's a genre about men are men and women are objects. And and this group is actually very much we want to shed that old baggage and just focus on the 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 pulp action style and the um, the approach to swashbuckling action and magic that was present back when Robert E. Howard essentially created Sword and Sorcery. And and everywhere you go, everywhere you go on Facebook, it's like Steve and I, when we talk about those old man comic book pages where they talk about older comics from the 60s or 70s, or uh, when I would go to some OSR D&D &D Facebook pages, Eventually, you you hit that zone of a lot of the a lot of the people there are just these reactionary SJWs are ruining my childhood and kids nowadays don't know and it's just like such a toxic cesspit 
And one of the cool things about the whetstone discord is that um, we've been avoiding that. In fact, in the months that I've been there, I've seen, I think, two people who you're pretty sure kind of alt-right come and go because they, they, they shortly figure out that this isn't the type of place they want to be. It's whetstone, W-H-E-T, whetstone? Yes, exactly, which is kind of ironic because that was not even like deliberate. Uh, whetstone has been a little prosing. They've got like five free issues out. You find it on the internet, and uh, Howard Andrew Jones is the man who came up with the the term, the new edge. He's actually, I've actually been a fan of his for years now. He uh, is an old school sword and sorcery lover. He's also the man who edited the Harold Lamb short story collections uh, for the University of Nebraska Press um, with his, um, with uh, Harold Lamb's Kill It the Cossack. It was uh, an old, these are old historical adventures from the 1920s. And Lamb was rather interesting because for the 1920s, white guy writing Stories of the Crusades, of the Mongols, of uh, ancient China. He actually uh, lived in Central Asia uh, for a while. And so he, he knows the cultures and he's very, very mindful and respectful. And, and you go into this and you're reading it and you're like, this guy is 1920s? Because you don't expect... You don't expect that level of uh, mindfulness, which is nice. But Jones also is a big Robert E. Howard fan. He is writing some of his own books. For decades, he's been wanting to, you know, got to get something going where we unload the baggage from uh, Sword and Sorcery and um, make the make the genre modern and fun and grow it. So... We've started this. This Discord's been about that, and we've started uh, started doing that. So, it that's been that's been fun and interesting. What have been some of the ideas so far to update the genre? Well, believe it or not, dude, it's really funny because um, they uh, we a lot of people have been talking about how do we get more people interested? How do we get the word out? And one of the things we're settling on is we need to get more quality material published, especially quality material that reflects the values of um, the new edge. Because one of the disappointing things that I have found, there have been a couple magazines I've like subscribed to on Kindle where the prose is actually pretty solid. There are some, there are some guys, mostly guys, writing that are that are doing an actually a pretty good job they're pretty good writers but they're still that regressive mindset i've mentioned before about one magazine i was uh i was reading from where this one guy loves the phrase black savages holy mackerel does he love this phrase and it it was just like a major turnoff and it was funny because his his story was solid. He's, he was actually a pretty good writer. But then that pops up. 
or the the mewling leg clinging as we like to call it on the discord the leg clinging damsel in distress is it's just like ah shedding a lot of that and how how we go about doing that has been a big focus and we've been talking about building up quality writing uh getting more stories out there but then how do we get those stories out there what kind of zines or what kind of anthologies or uh, working through uh, e-publing and um, how, how, do, how do we get rolling on print and stuff like that. There's been a lot of discussion of that, especially uh, what the Discord does is we'll go through these cycles where every month or so we have this big discussion and we really get, oh, and this last discussion just in the last 24 hours we finally started actually uh, pounding out ma the manifesto, which is actually kind of funny. One of the funny things about this is you sit and talk with these people and you know them by their handles, but I, I don't know their, you know, all their names. And one guy on there, he has a podcast called So I'm Writing a Novel, and he's been detailing his novel writing, as well as interviewing writers and editors and people about the business of writing. And um, he has like actually taken the horns for creating the, the manifesto and getting that written up. So um, O'Bracken is his name in the Discord, and I have no clue what the heck his name <laughs> is in life. Although I've spoken with a couple of these people a couple times um, when we've done a few Zoom things. Uh, this all got started for me when I did Howard's fantasy writing class for Muse, which was an online writing thing. And he just did a kind of like a seminar of, you know, one class that I ended up doing twice. And that's when he invited me onto the Discord and when I actually got to see some of these people face to face. So it's actually been cool that, and it's fun because you, you know, you drift around to these different forum and stuff and you, you're getting all excited and things are kind of cool. And then all of a sudden somebody just starts, you know, Oh, it isn't reasonable for a woman to wield a sh sword. And why does everybody worry about, you know, that there are no non-white uh, heroes in these stories? And, and the way it was back then was blah, blah, blah. And you just get so disenchanted. And so finding this discord has really, really been uh, very, very cool. Um, another podcast associated with is Rogues in the House which is a podcast that actually takes its name from a Robert E. Howard story. And those guys are uh, actually do episodes where they go through individual stories or they talk about individual authors, and they're starting to hit it to where they're having people on for interviews who uh, we're not talking Brandon Sanderson level, but, and of course that that's one of the, that's one of our jokes is we constantly, uh, poke fun at Brandon Sanderson's success. In fact, uh, one proposal for one of our our uh, opening anthologies was, you know, Swords Against Sanderson. But, <laughs> so, 
Um, that's been fun. It's been fun participating in that in the Whetstone Discord, and uh, it's also been uh, fun interacting and talking. I've been hammering out a few of my theories. You know, like Andy and I, I think we've discussed. I uh, and I've mentioned on the show before. I'm a firm believer in there's no such thing as escapism. I think everybody who who does a story, does some art, does some kind of thing like that, they have something to say, even if it's very muted or even if it's just so totally folded into the story. It's not a sledgehammer thing. And so I've been hammering out that theory with the uh, with this crowd, and uh, and of course this is where. Uh, I met Cora Bueller, who's the uh, the blogger uh, that I've been talking about uh, in the past. So Germany. Yes, the German blogger. Hugo nominated fan writer Cora Bueller. So so, yeah, it's been fun. It's been interesting. I'd say. Yeah. Yeah. Very well, engaging. That's much more geek than talking about my son's glasses. <laughs> well, yeah, but, you know, I had to get that in there. Um, right. I also posted a picture of uh, Duncan with his glasses fixed in the lair. So it's you can actually, nerdy. yeah, you can see the purple straw glasses in their glory. <laughs> you know, it's funny, like when you were telling that story, I was thinking about last. I haven't worn glasses in more than a decade now, but I was trying to think about the last time I had to have a uh, repair on a frame. And I'm sitting there going like. $100 is actually pretty reasonable for that type of repair because I remember being uh, offered to have charged way more than that when I was shopping around for repair work. So, uh, Dude, it was I, I was looking <laughs> on the Internet and there were prices, I mean, some as low as eight up to like 50 bucks. That's what I was thinking. And nope. just we're just talking about a, like a little solder weld thing on the bridge. But no. Nah. No, nah, yeah, you're right. It's not not cheap at all. Did you get LASIK or something, Jeff? Or I did. Uh, Twelve years ago, I got uh, LASIK, and uh, it's it's less expensive now. But when I did it, it was three grand, and it's the best three grand I've ever spent. Right. Well, I talked to my uh, a guy about LASIK for my eyes at one point, and he was he he actually was just like. The way he said it, it sounds like they don't even really do that much anymore. Uh, now they just do the Andy right, you know, route and give you the cyborg eyes with artificial mm -hmm. lenses, mm -hmm. which uh, I was just like, Re really? I mean, you're just not the and he's like, yeah, we you can do that. But the columnar blah, blah, blah lens process, murka, durka, durka is, you know, and I was just like, wow, okay, just give me some contact lenses. I'll, you know. It depends on another number of factors, Kirsten. Uh, age is one thing. Uh, corneal thickness is another. Uh, and then I know they don't like to do a lot more LASIK in people in their late 40s and older because you're typically, if you know, going to develop presbyopia at some point in you know, a few years. So they either try to do this um, uh, split uh, vision thing where like they they shape one eye for close up and the other mm -hmm. for distance. A uh, friend of mine had that done that I used to work with at Corks. You know, everybody drank. Uh, he had that done and he he hated it. Like he yeah. could never, 
They said, oh, you get used to it after about a year, and he, he still hasn't gotten used to it. Yeah. That sounds horrible. Yeah, um, no, that's awful. I mean, when I had the option, I mean, there are more expensive robot eyes you can get, uh, but you basically the, the, the low-end kind I got, you have the option of having good near vision or good far vision, and I went with good far vision, and I can wear these, uh, these, these cheap-ass uh, glasses, and it's fine. I think the one you're referring to that, that that your doctor might have been talking about, Kirsten, is something that they are starting to, I don't want to say experiment because they've been doing it for a number of years, but they're getting more progress is where they basically implant this very soft uh, lens that it's for both near and farsighted so that you don't have to wear the bifocals or if you have, you know, like me, I have great distance vision and my my close-up vision, I'm noticing it's starting to get a little worse as I, you know, get close to 50. But um, these new yeah, the, these new implantable lenses allow you to have both, and it's because um, it's like semi-flexible kind of thing. Like it, your normal eye muscle movement shifts the focus just like your normal eyes would. I guess I yeah, I read yeah. an article about it. And I was like, that's actually kind of fascinating. Yeah, those are the expensive. Uh, cataracts replacement, cataracts lens things. Yeah. yeah, that's the other reason too. A lot of people developing cataracts in their fifties and sixties. So right, everyone will eventually if they live long enough. My mom got them done. Oh God, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago, she had cataract surgery and she had lenses implanted in her eyes. She still mm-hmm. wore glasses, but nothing like what she would have had, you know had to wear hadn't mm-hmm. she had those. LASIK also doesn't last forever. Just to go back to that topic for a second, because my best friend and her husband both got it mm, 10 years ago, and they both are back in glasses already. Because mm. your eyes still deteriorate. doesn't keep them from deteriorating. Team oh, yeah. robot eye here. <laughs> the, shape is your, the shapes of your eyes change you know, throughout your life. So Yeah. Well, yeah. it's really funny, because my, my optometrist, uh, his philosophy is less is more. And so he doesn't give me the full strength adjustment when he does my lenses or glasses. And as a result, in the past 10 years, I've gone from a minus 250 to a minus 175. Uh, My eyes actually have improved, which is kind of funny. But I I have hit that zone of now reading. I need the reading adjustment in my glasses because... uh, it, it's getting difficult to look at stuff really up close, which is apparently the only way Duncan can look at stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, we got some news to get to, so we're going to go ahead and do that and do some news you don't give a shit about. Yeah. Ooh, why? Netflix shares have fallen as the company reported a loss of 200,000 subscribers, marking the first time Netflix has seen a drop in over a decade. The last time the streaming giant reported a loss of subscribers was in October 2011. And Netflix is forecasting a loss of 2 million more subscribers next quarter. This information was recently shared by industry analyst Benji Sales, who revealed that Netflix's share price has dropped almost 25% after the loss of subscribers was revealed. According to a letter to its shareholders, the loss of subscribers is, quote, tracking in line with our expectations, unquote, after Netflix announced an increase in the price of subscription back in January. 
Netflix also claims that COVID-19 clouded the picture in regards of its significant performance increase in 2020. Netflix announcement comes shortly after the company announced it has started rolling out a test that would start charging subscribers for sharing their passwords with other people outside their household. The test is currently ongoing in Chile, Costa Rica, and Peru as Netflix attempts to increase profits and subscribers by cracking down on password sharing. Mexican Netflix, aha. <clears throat> well, yeah, Mexflix. Uh, um, what's, what's funny is that was outtake stuff. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so... There, there's no context for what you just said. <laughs> <laughs> Is there ever any context for what I say? Yeah. It's a valid point. Um, so if you want to know the context, subscribe to our Kofi so you can listen to the outtakes. There you go. <laughs> um, yeah, I heard about the crackdown, and it's like Andy... Well, Andy uses the Netflix password for here, I'm over there. The I know, it's sort of like, technically you are... Although, technically, you're over there, so I don't know how they'd feel about it. Well, it's where you pay rent, right? Right. Yeah. Well, Disney, like yeah. when you do Disney+, Plus, you can sign in. It gives you a limit on how many devices you can sign in. Right. Yeah, same with Netflix. I'm hoping that at least you get some, some warning. Because the, the, the way those uh, articles are being phrased, it sounds like, you know, you're just going to get a letter. Oh, you owe somebody owes that's the other thing is like if they if they say i'm sharing the password with andy who gets charged for that share me who has the account or andy or i don't know i believe it's whoever has the account yeah Mm. they'd have to track me down i could be anybody who is this andy taylor (laughs) is there plan to charge people or just to not let that person sign in well they were they keep saying uh, 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 Todd kind of read it. They kept saying how they plan on charging people who are sharing passwords. So it's if funny because they gave no detail as to what exactly is going on in Chile and uh, Costa Rica, etc. So I, I think it's just a, a place to test roll it out for the rest of the world. I think they had to start somewhere and that's where they chose. Mm-hmm. And the, the question comes is, is there some sort of appeal to it it's the same way you can appeal uh being uh, kicked out of facebook the same setup and you've come from this knowledge how i'm just making it up yeah <laughs> yeah ah and fact check andy folks he's our journalist uh representative in the uh, like if you have, let's say, a child that goes to college for, you know, a couple months and comes back for vacation and goes back to college, is that considered part of the household? Is that something right. you have to buy a new subscription for that? There's there's so many real world household questions regarding this. Mm-hmm. Uh, technically, Andy's paying me for Netflix, so I don't. Yeah, I was just curious about that. Maybe it. Uh, I, I don't know. Well, I mean, a good friend of mine, actually, two different friends of mine, travel for work, like exclusively. So they're at their own home a handful of days out of the year. Um, but what's funny is, like, he says the major. Both of them say the majority of their Netflix watching is done while they're on the road. They hardly ever watch it when they're at home. So the physical address that's attached to the account is not where they are most of the time right now jeff um what do you think the implications of this can be with uh people who do the um uh the vpns 
and sort of like trick, you know, trick Netflix into thinking they're in Britain so they can watch other things. Does this, uh, does, is that, is that um, going to? I, I don't know because the last time I tried to just use a VPN with Netflix at my house, just, you know, for the hell of it, I wasn't even trying to do a regional thing to try to see what was available in other uh, countries. It uh, came back and says, you are using a VPN. Please you turn your VPN off uh, to continue watching. And I was like, oh, that's weird. Ooh. Uh, figured it out. So, I mean, Ooh. I just normally like to have the VPN on because right. Cox Cable, they try to sometimes limit your speed based on the amount of streaming that you're doing. So mm. by turning the VPN, VPN on, they can't tell other than it, they can tell that you're on a VPN, but they can't tell what you're doing. It's just a matter of my own personal preference. So is the fact the numbers are down an indication that during COVID, everybody watched everything? They're all full. <laughs> I, honestly, I think that's a huge part of it. A lot of people were watching it, you know, when they were at home. And since a lot of companies have ended the work from home stuff and are making people go back to the office. Yeah. I think people are, you know, just saying, well, I don't have time to watch it now because I've got to drive a half hour into work. I got to work, you know, my eight hour shift. Then I got to drive a half hour home. Maybe I've got to pick up dinner on the way, et cetera. You know, and they get home, eat dinner and then, oh, it's bedtime. I don't have time to watch anything. That um, and they raise the subscription price. Well, yeah. yeah. And then also I I'm trying to figure out how they track that kind of stuff, because I know um, one of the cell I think it's T-Mobile provides netflix on them so it's like if you have a t-mobile subscription you have like free uh netflix so i just mm, mm. you know wonder if that's rolled into the numbers or if they've started categorizing that differently since it's i i, I don't know if t-mobile t-mobile pays them or if it's like a cross advertising thing maybe they removed those numbers from their subscriber base because they're not quote paying subscribers i i have no idea hmm. you just give a shit about the Leprechaun horror movie franchise is going to be rebooted again. Oh, God. A Lionsgate is, quote, actively seeking out pitches for the next Leprechaun movie, unquote. Uh, director Darren Lynn Boozman, uh, who did Saw 2 through 4, Repo the Genetic Opera, and Spiral, the book of Saw, has been publicly asking Lionsgate to let him helm a new installment in the horror comedy Leprechaun franchise. When talking about his plans for what the film would be, uh, Bozeman explained, quote, I would make a more direct sequel to the Leprechaun franchise. I would not reboot it. I, I don't want to do that. I would demand that Warwick Davis come back. I wouldn't do it without him. I would not try to change the tone. I would like to make it equally as batshit bonkers crazy. It would be between the first film and Back to the Hood. It would be somewhere in that tonal frame. It got really ridiculous as they went on, but that ridiculousness is what made them fun, unquote. Uh, Lionsgate is also looking at rebooting the Blair Witch franchise. What? Yeah. I, I can see rebooting Blair Witch before Leprechaun, frankly, uh, although I, I come with extreme bias. I, I absolutely despise the Leprechaun series. I absolutely love Warwick Davis. I hate that series. I actually uh, hung out with one of the special effects from one of the Leprechaun movies. One of the special uh, effects? Was it a yeah. 
explosions? Was it the? Uh... No, there was a, it was a guy who was. Oh. Uh, there was a. Uh, I think it's the FX the artist one. Andy. No, no, he was the effect. Uh, there's a. Uh, oh, it's, it's, I think it might be the Vegas one, but at some point there's a floating uh, kettle. What do you call it? Um, anyways, there's a floating one, and the the entire effect is this guy laying underneath it, pushing it up from below. Effects artist, yes. It's still an effects artist. I suppose. <laughs> Guys, you're ruining his great story. <laughs> no, he was the effect. No, he's the artist. No, he was the actual effect. Uh, Lionsgate rele- uh, released uh, the last Blair Witch film, what, about 10 years ago? Sounds about right. Um it was all right. I think the movie did okay. It didn't do gangbusters, but it did okay. How many of them were there? Three. Uh, there's, of course, the the blockbuster original. Uh, the second one, which went into a weird, strange territory. Uh, frankly, probably shouldn't be a Blair Witch movie at all. It's kind of a standalone thing. Uh, and three is a direct sequel to one. But they've also written a lot of books. There's been quite a few video games. There's a lot of tie-in stuff with... Blair Witch and I I really do like that whole small town backwood hollow folklore horror Uh, if I had to choose between these two I'd definitely choose Blair Witch to reboot the the thing is though they they got so much going against them on that because Blair Witch was lightning in a bottle that was something that was going to happen once and only once People know what they're getting into if they try to recreate that whole thing. They might have some new effects to it, might have some new scares, but... Yeah, that's, that sounds like there's three of them. <laughs> I mean, it's just... Yeah, I mean, I, beyond the first one, it seems pretty... Done one and done, but okay. Well, the, the second was not even found footage, yeah. if I'm remembering right. And In fact, Todd, correct me if I'm wrong, but it kind of smelled of... Hey, I got this horror script. Why don't we slap Blair Witch on the title and uh, just uh, throw in a, a little bit of, you know, make whatever connections we can. I don't know if that's what happened, but you're right. That's what it feels like happened. Yeah. Yeah. Felt like it. Yeah. And I didn't even see the, the third one. It's worth while. Yeah. It shows the witch. They, they reveal the creature. Uh, the creature design is very mid-2000s horror Lanky, thin, overly tall, very, very, uh, uh silent hill, very silent hill. Wow. But uh, it's a worthwhile watch. I think it's good. I haven't seen any of them, and I won't at this point because I'm living there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Leprechaun, if, uh, if they reboot it, I won't be there. I don't care. Oh, Jennifer Aniston could use the work. <laughs> News you don't give a shit about. Microsoft is reportedly exploring integrating advertisements such as billboards or posters for real products in its free-to-play games. As reported by Business Insider, Microsoft is looking to further opportunities to de- for developers to profit. Uh, quote, one of the sources speculated Microsoft isn't currently interested in collecting a cut of ad revenue because it wants to provide more money-making opportunities to developers who make free-to-play games. In other words... Uh, we want to add ads, but we want to give the money to the developers. 
Microsoft is said to be aware that this may cause a bad reaction in some players, especially due to the stigma free-to-play games currently have regarding microtransactions and revenue streams. Quote, it's moving cautiously and intends to create a private marketplace where only select brands can insert ads into games in a way that doesn't disrupt the gameplay experience, said two sources to Business Insider. Uh, Business Insider claims the sources have told them Early plans to integrate these advertisements include things like digitally rendered billboards in a car racing game. Conceptually, uh, selling in-game advertising space isn't anything new. While it's less common in most genres in the modern era of gaming, uh, racing and sports titles are full of advertisement billboards for real products, uh, typically as a result of real-world marketing agreements. Like 2K NBA series includes a long list of advertisements as part of an ongoing deal with the basketballing authority. Uh, These advertisements are updated throughout the season. Now, the fact that it's in free-to-play doesn't bother me so much. Yeah, I'm Uh, surprised this isn't happening already. This seems like something that I would have assumed was going on for years. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't mind it as much if it's in things that would be in real world things. Like when we, uh, used to play, uh, Tom Clant, the Tom Clancy game with, uh, uh rainbow with, six. Yeah. Rainbow six. Um, oh, I got it. <laughs> yeah. You nailed it. Um, if I remember right, they had billboard ads in there for like on subway kiosks and things like that. Oh yeah, uh, your problem's going to be if wait, like I'm playing Skyrim and suddenly there's a billboard. Uh, no. Okay, yeah, I can see that. That's exactly it. That's that's that's. If it doesn't break the immersion, I, I don't care. If it's something that would be in the real world, fine. Uh, Axe Body Spray wants to advertise on NBA 2K on the billboard, whatever. Uh, but Ooh, if, but, but Axe is an, an Axe Body Spray is a weapon in Skyrim. Yeah, or, you know, your Coca-Cola healing potion. Well, mm-hmm. I, I'm sure some women would say that Axe Body Spray is a weapon. So. <laughs> yep, it is. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I, I think I'm with you on this, Todd. I, I don't mind it in, in a free-to-play. I hate it in a, a lot of the more mainstream games. And it's more of a, a principle thing, because all they're really doing... They're still charging you more for the game, and they're trying to say that it costs them more to publish these days when the reality is it doesn't really cost them any more to publish than it did 10 years ago because it's a much more streamlined process. And if if it was an extra stream of revenue to pay the developers, the actual people that work on the game, I'd be all for it. But all it's doing is increasing their profit margins on the games that you're paying for. You know, I mean, that's what you believe, but doesn't the story say that they're going to be paying, doing it to pay the uh, developers? It does say that, and my and this is my personal opinion. My, I think that's just a, a foot in the doorway. I think that if you you get people used to it and say, "Oh, but the money's going to the developers, so it's okay," that right. later on when they decide to change their mind and take a cut and a larger cut and a larger cut, it's already been happening so long that no one cares. Right, we're going to raise these taxes for the kids. <laughs> yeah, I got to say, like, if you threw in something real world into like a Fallout, oh like yeah, a billboard, I think it'd be kind of cool. As long as you did it in the right, it has to go with the tone of the game. I think it'd be kind of cool. Uh, but that's just it. it. It it depends when that tone is. Like, it wouldn't work in Fallout because Fallout is such an alternate history, and and it has that that fifties uh, vacuum tube aesthetic. 
right. to it that if you put something like Red Bull, it wouldn't make sense. No, but like Coca-Cola or Betty Crocker or Nabisco, you know, there is a lot of things that would make sense. Cookies, cereals, sodas. Pan Am. Just not easy bake ovens. Contextually speaking, I think is where it's it it's got to be the you know the the way it's used because it didn't bother me as much in Rainbow Six because it wasn't I mean you you noticed it you're like oh look there's a billboard for this product that product etc and then what really is intrusive is the way they do it in like the NBA 2K games because I remember watching uh, a YouTube video on this not long ago saying like look how intrusive these ads are that they have with the NBA 2K games. And oh my God, it was like every five seconds you do the replay, it's like in your face. And then the, sometimes the replays were sponsored by, it's like, check out this replay sponsored by blah, blah, blah. And it's like, oh my God. Of course, now the broadcasts have started doing a similar thing. So I guess it's synergistic in that respect. It's, of course, it's also the reason I don't watch NBA anymore. It's gotten ridiculous hmm. i mean nfl is uh, getting there but it's not nearly as bad yet and news you don't give a shit about uh blumhouse and beer max's new dracula movie has been canceled three weeks before filming was set to begin uh mina harker, mina harker was the name of the movie directed by karen kusuma was a modern-day take on Bram Stoker's Dracula that starred Jasmine Cephas-Jones in the Dracula role. The script was written by Phil Hay and Matt Manfredi, who also penned uh, Kusama's horror thriller The Invitation. Uh, Miramax decided to scrap the film at the last minute, citing creative differences with Kusuma. Uh, No other details have been released at this time. Kusuma executive produced and directed the pilot for Showtime's Yellow Jackets, but horror fans know her best as the creative mind behind the horror Jennifer's body. Do we think this is the Mobius effect? Morbius effect? Sorry. Are you saying that the the Morbius movie didn't do well, so they Mm. canceled this? Uh, I I would say no. It's probably because they said it was creative differences. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they always say creative differences. There's a lot of bullshit answers that are blurred behind creative differences. No, I think if they wanted to pull the plug, they would. Now, that they're... That being said, there's a lot of Dracula movies happening right now. A lot of them. Why? Uh, I don't know, but there's the Renfield movie. There's another Dracula film that's in process, plus a few uh, vampire TV shows that are uh, coming up very soon, one of them based on Dracula. Uh, for some reason, vampires are back, and a lot of them. There wasn't some like IP release recently or something, right? Where something like came back to the public domain? No, it's, I mean, Dracula is, is public domain, if I remember right. So that that's, that it, is, is not even an issue. Is the universal Dracula in public domain? Uh, not the script. No, the stuff that they in, invited, I think that's still theirs under that uh, uh, Mickey Mouse rule. Mm. It, it, it's too bad, too, because I think a, a Mina Harker-centered Dracula uh, would be kind of interesting. I always loved uh, not the movie, but the comic book, uh, Alan Moore's League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. His his the way he did Mina was just wonderful. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, that was a good part of the reason the movie was 
far inferior to the book is that mm. yeah mina mina was well she's in the movie she's a goddamn vampire isn't she well she's a vampire and that to me frankly that's not even the the bad part the bad part was well you cast sean connery as alan quatermain you got to have him as the leader right and right, and right, right. that totally just cut the cut the knees out from uh, mina's character i i the the I when it first when I was watching the movie I was like ah, ah I could you know this could be interesting but I was just uh, I I came into it knowing Hollywood and just knowing that that character was not going to be the leader of the of the group and much less that Quatermain was going to be what he was and which is too bad because I think actually Connery as an actor I think he could have actually if they didn't want to do branding, he could have actually pulled off, you know, burnt out opioid ad. It would have been actually a very fascinating portrayal, but mm-hmm. they totally just lost their nerve and went, you know, went expectation and it, too bad. So, yeah. Now, I think the only one I'm really interested in is the uh, Renfield one because uh, Nicholas Holt is starring in that one and I really enjoy his work. So. Well, that and and uh, they they put out now the the Nosferatu teaser okay. posters with Defoe. Oh, that's right. Oh, dude, I'm 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 getting excited about that. Okay, I'll, I'm behind that one. Yeah, but the Renfield once again, it's like the, it's an interesting viewpoint to take. You know, I mean, you watched uh, Coppola's Dracula, and that Renfield, you know, you could. I could totally, I'll totally sit back and watch that movie because that was that was some interesting stuff that they were going with there. So that I can, I'm definitely with you on uh, looking forward to that. What's your Renfield? Write to us, comments at geekshockpodcast.com. And I want to thank all you listeners, but especially the Kofi members who contributed to the show, uh, especially the Tier 4 members, King Vol, Deb T, David Farrar, and T- 5 members, Leon Mitt, Jeff Harris, Jake Godbold, Ozzy Matt, Mad Martin, and Glumley. And a special thank you to King Vald for your one-off donation once again this week. Although the fact that you're starting to side with Vlarg more and more is ultimately cosmically disturbing. <laughs> <laughs> and I also want to thank our tier one members, Sir Chomps, Matthew Bates, David Hydebreyer, Scoop Bucky, Highland Scoop, Chad Wilson, Ambivalent Hoax, Richard Bruins, Scoopatron, Mandy, Sour Maddie D, Jacob Flora, Aaron Esquire, Multiverse Tonight, Bust Rod, Scully, Mr. Dumble Dave, Froyog Soft Serve, and Minty Scoop, and all of you that have contributed and all of you that has listened to us throughout these years. And if you really want to thank us, Send us a, uh, a a like or a review on Apple iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. That goes a long way. And until next week, I am Master Torgo. It is Jeff. Commander K. Back to Candy. Goodbye, folks. I just got myself kicked off the show by talking about the video. <laughs> and, uh... <laughs> we'll talk to you next week in Geek. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I got to edit that too, don't I? Oh, well, you don't oh, have shit. to. I don't have to. No, you're right. I don't have to, don't have to edit any of this. You don't have to edit anything, Todd. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't have to do a show. I don't have to do it. Oh, yeah. God. You know, in many ways, this is all your fault. Damn it. <laughs> I hate me. Way to victim blame there, Kirsten. <laughs> there you go. Bye.
Bye. Bye.